Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Noelle Ellerson-Ing, and I am AASA's Associate Executive Director for Policy and Advocacy. We're four episodes into the AASA Pep Talk podcast, a series focused on research, advocacy, and policies impacting public school superintendents, and I think we're starting to get the hang of this. Looking ahead, if you have a show idea or guest you think we should have on, shoot me a note. N-E-L-L. E-R-S-O-N at AASA.org or on Twitter at Noellerson. Our fourth episode, which you'll hear next, is with a friendly and familiar face, Leslie Finnett. Before her current job as Director of Policy and Advocacy with the National Association of Federally Impacted Schools, NAFIS, she worked as a Senior Policy Analyst here at AASA for five years. We love working with Leslie and are proud of what she's doing now and are just happy she's still a passionate advocate for public education. Leslie has spent her career advocating on behalf of the nation's public school superintendents, first at ASA, now with NAFIS. Today's conversation is our first in the podcast where we talk with another organization and another lobbyist. We hope to wander through the realities of advocating at the federal level, working in a national membership organization, the importance of collaboration and coalitions, and the reality that we see each other more now than we did when we both worked for AASA. I hope you'll find today's conversation interesting. I really enjoyed this conversation with Leslie as she's as much a friend as she is a colleague, and it was a way to highlight the myriad ways that federal education policy impacts schools in the countless ways that public school superintendents can help craft that policy. Thanks for listening. Leslie Finnan is the Director of Policy and Advocacy at the National Association of Federally Impacted Schools. In this role, she spearheads the efforts to advocate for preserving and strengthening the Impact Aid Program, the oldest federal education program. Welcome, Leslie, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Nice to talk to familiar faces. Right? I think we all have some happy listeners to know that they're listening to (laughs) Leslie, even if she is now, over with NAFIS. So I have some questions here, and our audience is familiar with the routine that you've gotten them ahead of time, but it does make for a better conversation. So let's just dive right in. Super easy, soft question. What was your favorite AASA memory? Well, I'd have to say that it might be when uh, the two of us, you and I, started a national campaign because we wanted to wear T-shirts to work. Um, I really loved the energy of the Love Public (laughs) Education campaign. And just how excited and positive everyone, it really pulled out the best in our members and in our team and reminded me how impactful public schools really are. I would also ditto that. That was one of my (laughs) top memories. And it really was. We were at National Conference. We were at the welcome reception with Governing Board. And I think we had, I think I had just been given a public schools t-shirt and the team had them. And we went to Dan and said, we think this would be great national. And from there, we got the Love Public Education campaign. That was one of those days when you're wondering, am I working? Really? Does this count as work? (laughs) Yeah, so it was very exciting. So I'd have to be fair to ask the next question, or if I want to be fair, I need to ask the next (laughs) question. Now, you've been with NAFIS for about two months. What's your favorite NAFIS memory to date? Well, it's been a short time, but it's been fun already. Uh, We just finished up our spring conference. We have two conferences a year. Um, And the spring conference was a great way for me to meet our members and see a few familiar faces from our work at AASA and with ASBO. Um, I think the best part was really seeing them after their trips to Capitol Hill last week 
they were just so excited uh, from all their meetings. They said it was the most positive reception they had had in years. So I just loved watching how excited they were to be advocating for their schools. And I would say that is something you talked about consistently. You always were most jazzed up after the Hill days with the advocacy, whether it was the July conference or when we had an executive committee in January, seeing the members in action, seeing the superintendents in action, it's both their passion and their energy and helping them or having them see that your voice actually matters. We're not just telling you that. Yeah, those are those are peak moments. This is a really fun podcast because we're only talking <laughs> about the good stuff so far. Yeah. And I'm a huge nerd, so it's always fun to watch other people nerd out on what I nerd out on. Right, guys? This is the Noelle and Leslie show, and we're just going to edu-geek out for the next 35 minutes. Join <laughs> us. Okay. So a little bit more of a technical question, but I think it's a, a nuance that's helpful and important. So how would you describe your membership at NAFIS, and how is that different from and both and similar to that of AASA? Uh, well, I think the biggest difference is that our members are not people, our members are actually the districts themselves. Um, and then within that membership, we have representatives. The representatives are mostly superintendents, school business officials, and school board members. We have about 1,300 federally impacted districts, and we have over 400 of them are members of NAFIS. So we get to see a little bit more of a range of membership here um, at NAFIS, just because especially with the school board members, that's a different background than we had at AASA. But our school districts are, um, they're very, a lot of them are very rural, especially the Indian lands districts. So um, we see a lot of rural and remote issues, but we also see in some big, big city districts out in uh, California and Texas around the military bases. So it's interesting to see the, the range that we have within such a niche community. So I've worked with NAFIS my entire time at AASA, and I don't think I fully understood the extent to which your members are myriad educators, from superintendents to the teachers. I mean, so you have school business officials, you have school board members, you have principals. It just depends on the school. Mm -hmm. um, That's in really most, cool. Most schools, the first contact uh, is the superintendent, but they make sure that the school board members are um, and the school business officials are very involved. Uh, actually, at our conference, they usually come, they often come as teams, so they'll have a superintendent or a school business official as well as a couple board members there from the same district, oh. so they all kind of go together as a team. It's interesting to watch the different um, the different knowledge levels, but also the different. Uh, it's interesting to watch the school board members go in to these meetings because they're also locally elected officials, uh, so they have a bond with the members of Congress that we don't have as superintendents. Oh, that's actually really cool to think about as well, yeah, because most board members are elected and most superintendents are generally appointed by the board. So yeah, I guess being elected would give them something in common. And a lot of members of Congress started their career as school board members. School board is a great place to launch a political service or a public service political career. So I want to draw another distinction, and this is from my perspective, so maybe you can either clarify, redirect, or affirm that maybe I'm in the right direction. One of the big distinctions I see between NAFIS and AASA is that at NAFIS, you focus almost solely on one federal education program, as opposed to AASA, where we like to say we focus on anything that impacts education. So what's it like to work so deeply on one program, having gone from AASA where we had a, a wider variety of issues 
to this one where you are a mile deep? Yeah, that's definitely been a transition already. Uh, I went from presenting on what was happening in every facet of the education of education policy to being hyper focused on impact aid. Um, and I, especially when I work, work today, I say I was what we called the odds and ends lobbyist. So I did some of the weirder things. Uh, so I have a lot of knowledge in uh, building construction and on school nutrition and uh, other non-K-12 education issues. But now I have this great opportunity to dive really deeply into one issue. Um, I was a little nervous coming in that I was gonna get bored, but uh, almost three months in, impact data is still way more complicated than I thought it would be. So it's taking a lot of my wonkiness uh, and putting it to good use. And impact data also interacts with elements of education policy. So I'm still using my broad knowledge to help my advocacy. I think it does help that I can talk to broader federal education issues when I go in to talk about impact aid, and I know kind of the broader atmosphere of what's happening in D.C. and in schools around the country, so I can use that to help my advocacy for a very targeted program. So we're not going to go geek out on it, but one thing I'm constantly overwhelmed by are the different formulas or aspects of impact aid and how you do the calculations and the race and the time at which they're available. And that's why we're thankful they're safest, because we value impact aid, and we can advocate for impact aid without needing to know that. We just need to know how to call Hillary and Leslie. So that works and out pretty maybe well. Maybe give me us. a few more months before I'll have the uh, the formula. <laughs> well, luckily, luckily, in terms of reauthorization, we should be good until ESSA is up. But yeah, uh, now it's just making sure that the funding's there and that they don't cut it and gut it in annual approves. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're being more realistic, though, and we know that NAFIS doesn't weigh in on just one issue and that you will sometimes coordinate on other issues, often through coalitions. And in fact, you and I were emailing yesterday about whether or not there might be room for NAFIS to engage on something related to IDEA full funding. So what are some of the other topics at the federal level that NAFIS does engage in and what are some of the ones that you monitor but might not engage in right now? As you said, uh, as you just said, the biggest thing we're always dealing with is funding. Uh, so we support, we obviously want more money into the impact aid program, but to do that, we need to work in the broader world. So we're working on efforts to raise the spending caps, raise inv investments, education overall, and then to push from that to the increase in impact aid. So that means I'm on the same coalitions as you are, the National Committee on Education Funding, the Children's Budget Coalition, NDD United, and all of that. Um, we're also currently working to push back on a voucher bill, just like last year, that uh, I'm sure you all heard about last year. Um, so we're really pulling in Sasha's work with the National Coalition for Public Education. Um, we're also interested in infrastructure, so uh, and we're working on coalitions around Rebuild America Schools and other infrastructure issues. Um, also being part of Impact Aid, we uh, deal a lot with the military uh, issues. So we work on some military kid uh, coalitions as well. Um, so my hyper-focused advocacy is actually pretty broad, as I'm finding. Uh, but well, the one thing that we talked to you, that I said to you yesterday about um, about whether or not we can weigh in on your IDEA letter is we are very cognizant that we don't do too much mission creep. Uh, NAFIS was founded for one reason, one reason only, and that was impact aid. And um, our members and our board members are a little nervous that we are 
they don't want us to try to become a new AASA or a new NSBA or a new ASBO. So we try to find a nice balance of supporting our friends while also staying in our own lane. And I think a lot of what your answer highlights is one, how collaborative this effort really is at the federal level. And we've talked about that. You represent superintendents and school boards and teachers. So you as our advocate have to work just like they do. And they don't, a superintendent doesn't work in isolation. A school board member doesn't work in isolation. So you work with all of those groups at the federal level. And so do we. And this goes back to something that was in the opening. I see you more now that we work at different organizations because we're finally in the same coalition meetings. And I know, weren't you and Sasha just emailing last week about a set of comments you're submitting related to a, a change related to military students, right? And so the collaboration continues to grow and expand, but but it's there. And Noelle and Sasha continue to get their Leslie time. So it is fantastic. Yeah, I got to talk to both of you in the same day and talk about different issues. How rarely did that actually happen when we were all at AASA, right? Never. <laughs> so, okay. More to the basic levels of our advocacy. So relationships are key to me as an advocate. The relationships I have with our members at AASA, our relationships with associations, relationships with Hill staff and members of Congress, relationships with reporters. What's your take on relationships? Oh, I said it at AASA. I said it again last week at our NAFIS conference. Advocacy is all about relationships. Um, I think already having a network and the relationships in the education policy world really drew NAFIS to me when I um, was going for this position. It's been fun to go on a kind of reintroduction tour where I get to keep my relationships from the last five years going. Um, learning to create and keep trusting relationships on the Hill with reporters, with other associations is critical. It's what I love about advocacy. I get to make friends and fight for public schools all at the same time. It's a sweet gig, right? You found someone to pay you to do that. Seriously. And it helps public education. Yeah, right? Is it Don't even tell worse? everyone, Noel. They're going to try to come after our job. <laughs> well, this, this is only the fourth episode, so I'm sure that we're not quite up to huge listening numbers yet, <laughs> but someday they might listen to this one and then they'll know our secret. Okay, so this is something I'm really interested in, just in your work as a fellow female professional. NAFIS is a smaller organization in terms of staff size. Talk to us about the size of your shop, including you being the only policy staffer, and how that impacts your day-to-day. -day. Well, since we're a one-topic shop, we get to be hyper-focused both on impact aid and on policy and advocacy which means while I'm technically the only policy staffer, we're kind of all policy staffers here. AASA provided a lot more services than NAFIS does. Um, they did the magazine, the professional development, a lot more events and all of that, um, whereas we were created as an advocacy organization and really focus on that. So that means that while we have a communications person, um, a conference and office manager, and our executive director, we're kind of all doing it in the uh, focused on advocacy and on policy. Um, so that means that I'm not alone. Everyone um, everyone in the organization kind of knows what's going on. We also have two fabulous interns this semester who are spoiling us rotten uh, with how great they are. Uh, but being a six-person organization, including our interns, that means that it's definitely an all-hands-on-deck kind of place. Uh, last, year, last week, I was there stuffing folders, helping with registration at the conference running interference, um, and it, but it also means that everyone at the 
office really knows what's happening in policy. And so I don't have to do too much education of constantly because everyone's kind of working on the same issues, which is really, really exciting. It's actually really fascinating to think about how much you accomplish with with, a, with just a four-person staff. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually Impressive. the fact that you yeah you put on a national conference your your yeah. annual conference yeah with four people like that's that's a lot to think yeah. about because we have a staff of thirty-five here at AAS and then we have outside contractors when we do our national conference and so props to y'all for running a running a tight ship over there. Well, that's okay. all on Lynn, our conference manager, who just celebrated her 30th anniversary here. So There's something to be said for institutional knowledge, right? Yeah, and she's amazing. <laughs> well, props and congratulations on that conference. <laughs> I want to pivot back to a little bit more geeking out. What's your favorite factoid that you've learned about the Impact Aid program in your time with NAFIS? Uh, well, I think it's pretty cool that Impact Aid was the original federal K-12 law. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that ESEA was actually written as an, as an amendment to the Impact Aid law. I think that very few people actually know that. I know that I learned that and probably fully internalized that, not until the final ESSA reauthorization, when you realize that while Impact Aid is now a title within ESSA, ESSA was born from what was originally Impact Aid. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't even learn it until I took this job, so. so. <laughs> See, now we know, now we know, <laughs> okay. So now we're backing out even further. Now, more generally, tell me your favorite edu-geek moment. Have you ever fangirled over an opportunity that your work afforded you? A specific interview, a meeting, an event, any of your work travel, a conversation or experience with a member? Uh, well, how nerdy do you want me to get? Uh, I want you to be less nerdy, so go right <laughs> ahead. Well, I've gotten the opportunity to talk to several governors walking Representative Klein out of our conference. I have just made it into families from the same tiny town in southeastern Minnesota <laughs> and have been to the same tiny town in southeastern Minnesota's annual town party. Uh, so it was a fun connection to make with someone who was so impactful on education policy for so many years. I actually remember how excited you were to put that together because it is a very small town. <laughs> yeah, very small Houston, town. Houston, Minnesota. That's funny. <laughs> We live in Minnesota. Okay, so looking ahead more, a little bit more perspective, what's the story or policy proposal that you are most anticipating this year? Well, Mueller's report is dropped, so we can take that one off the list. Um, and besides gridlock, uh, hopefully we're going to get a decent raise to the cap so we can actually get some more funding into the education world. Uh, here at NAFIS, we're also really excited to be pushing an impact aid infrastructure bill that we're that we're introducing, oh, hopefully yeah. in the House soon, um, in a bipartisan fashion, which we're very excited about. Um, that would get more money into the impact aid uh, construction line if if some large infrastructure package were to happen mm -hmm. throughout um, federal government. Leslie, you know I've been waiting since June of 2017 for the Title I formula report. You're not excited for the Title I formula report? I am not, no. <laughs> <laughs> we also don't know if it's actually coming in 2019, let's be honest. <laughs> okay, so more specific, what do you predict for education policy in 2019? And this could be your prediction for things that you think will actually get done, or just things that might get some attention or suck up uh, some energy in the room or use some political chips. Yeah, well, from all I'm seeing, it's looking like a higher education reauthorization might actually make it through this year. 
I know Chairman Alexander really wants one more win to cement his legacy. I know I'm not working on it anymore, but I'm definitely still watching because, again, I'm pretty nerdy. Mm -hmm. So I'm, and I, I worked so intimately with it in the last Congress that I'm still interested to see what happens. So that's kind of the biggest education thing I see happening. I don't see too much action otherwise. Um, I know they're starting to talk about nutrition, but I don't know how far they're actually going to get after last year's farm bill. And I think beyond that, we're just going to be talking about money and about appropriations and hopefully a decent appropriations level for education. Well, and then eventually we'll get late enough into 2019 that everything's just going to be about that little thing in 2020, that whole election, right? So Wait, something's happening in 2020? Yeah, Leslie, we can have a sidebar conversation after the podcast if you need to <laughs> fill you in. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, no. So this is uh, actually, we're hitting up one of the final questions, and that actually ties into this idea around um the 2020 election. What role do you see for education in the great 2020 election? Well, for all the importance that Americans place on K-12 education and public schools, it's never really been much of a rallying cry in presidential politics. I think higher ed and early ed and child care will take up a lot of the education adjacent airspace. I know the Democrats have a few battles to fight. There's Cory Booker's embrace of vouchers and charters, and Kamala Harris's recent support for increasing teacher pay. However, I really don't see K-12 rising to the top of the long list of issues they're dealing with or uh, trying to get people excited about. So that might be a good thing, though. We don't want to well, get ourselves you, into too much trouble. When you started and said that you think the Democrats have a few, I thought you were going to say a few candidates, but you were just going to say <laughs> things to wrinkle out. So even within the parties, we need to see what, if anything, more President Trump will say in what is his presumed re-election, right? And then watching the primaries for the Democrats, and I'm fascinated, too. How are the unions going to handle this? You know NAAFT will do an endorsement, but where do they land? I can't even really make a prediction can... with any safety or confidence about who might emerge for their nomination. I think Harris is teacher pay announcement might be uh, her lobbying for that endorsement. Yeah, but that's a whole separate podcast episode about <laughs> that actually would be a great episode, getting some people to spitball on where different candidates are on education. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to note yeah. that. I'm going to send those invites out later. But that's really, those are the questions I wanted to talk to you about. I appreciate you taking time out of your day, especially with your new role and your new job over there at NAPIS talking with some of your old friends and cronies here at AASA. Thank you again for taking time to join us. To our listeners here with Public Education Policy Pep Talk, and by the way, we created the podcast and the name while Leslie was still at AASA. And when I invited one of her, my last contributions. It was, and when I invited her to come be a guest, she said, only because you picked the name that I liked. So we were lucky that we went with the name that Leslie liked. And that's why she was able to join us today. So, Leslie, thank you for joining us today. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. And once again, this is Pep Talk, AASA's public education policy podcast, where we focus on all things education policy, advocacy, and related. This concludes our fourth episode, and we look forward to chatting with you again. You can follow Leslie online at Twitter. Her handle is at Leslie Finnan, L-E-S-L-I-E. F-I-N-N-A-N. -N -N. Thank you all.